Good evening. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, I wanted to be a priest when I was younger from the time that I was about 10 years old. That's what I thought I wanted to do. I waffled a little bit. At one point, I wanted to be a marine biologist and then eventually settled on being a coach. But from the time that I was younger till I was about my mid-teens and discovered dating, I wanted to be a priest I seriously thought about the priesthood for two years. I was president of the Catholic Youth Organization in my area. I was an altar boy. I, uh, I studied the priesthood. When I was small, I would, I would have mass in uh, my clubhouse. I would take my stuffed animals and set them as my audience, and I would stand up and I would repeat the entire mass. I knew it by heart. I knew how to conduct it word for word, even at a young age. And I thought that's what I was going to do. I thought I was going to be a priest. And you know what? Here I am. I made it. Although it didn't happen exactly the way I had planned, and though I don't wear a white collar, though I can't absolve people of their sins, though I don't uh, uh, live a life of celibacy, I am married, I'm still a priest. I am fulfilling a lifelong dream. Read with me, 1 Peter chapter 2. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who am I? It's a very uh, existential question, one that many have pondered pondered throughout the centuries, it's often coupled with another question, and that is, why am I here? But in order to answer either of these questions, we must start with another question, and that is, who is Jesus? And Peter uses a key word over and over again to describe who Jesus is. In verse 4, he says he is a living stone. In verse 6, he says he is a choice stone or a precious cornerstone. In verse 7, he refers to him as the stone which the builders rejected. And again, he's called the cornerstone. In verse 8, Peter says that Jesus is the stone that causes some to stumble. So we could sum up Peter's description this way. To the world, Jesus is a stumbling stone. To God, he is the chosen stone. And to believers, he is the cornerstone. So who is Jesus? Well, he is the rock. And we as Christians are all just chips off the old block. You look at it again, Peter calls Jesus a living stone, and then he writes, you also as living stones. So who is Jesus? He's the precious cornerstone. He's the chosen stone, and he's also a stumbling stone. And so who are we? Who am I? Well, Peter gives 
the answer in a few different ways. In verse 4, he states that we are people who come to him by faith. In verse 5, he says that we are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. In verse 6, we find out that we are the ones who will never be disappointed in our faith. In verse 7, we are referred to as those who deem Jesus to be a precious value. And then in verse 9, we see that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Then verse 10 says that the people of God are those who are recipients of His great mercy. So that's a lot to take in. And we could spend a great deal of time dissecting each one of those identifiers. But I believe that a key to understanding just who we are is found in the fact that Peter refers to the priesthood twice. And as you know, the priest or the priesthood was at the center of the Old Testament system. The priests were chosen from the tribe of Levi, and these Levitical priests were endowed with a special privilege and responsibility. There were many details as to the responsibilities that they were to carry out, but basically the priest offered sacrifices for the sin of the people. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the most holy place and sprinkled blood from an animal on the mercy seat. That's the gist of it anyway. Like I said, there's a whole lot more detail that you can read about in Leviticus chapter 16, but the sprinkling of the blood atoned for the sins of the people, but only for one time a year. It had to be constantly repeated. The Old Testament system sent the message that it wasn't easy to approach God. The average Israelite couldn't offer his own sacrifice. He had to go through the priest. The priest served as the go-between or the bridge between God and man. In fact, the Latin word for priest, pontifex, means bridge builder. It means that go-between. You look at a priest as one who makes a bridge between the people and an unapproachable God in the Old Testament. And then you look over to the New Testament and you see the bridge builder there, don't you? The great high priest, Jesus Christ, is the great bridge builder. We could sum up Peter's words this way. Everything has changed. Jesus is our great go-between. He's the bridge builder who came to give us full access to God. That is the essence of the priesthood, having access to God. The priest in the Old Testament... Bridge that gap between man and God, the unapproachable God. And Jesus, of course, does that in his person. He is the one time and for all sacrifice that bridges the gap between us and the unapproachable God. What was once unapproachable, unapproachable now becomes approachable. We can be in God's presence without fear because Jesus' blood gives us atonement. But not only does it give us atonement, it gives us access as well. So... My dream of becoming a priest has become reality. Not exactly the way that I envisioned it, although technically I could even say that I am a Catholic priest. Because do you know what the word Catholic literally means? It means universal. So I am a universal priest in that sense, but of course that can be confusing and and not the best way to advertise it probably, but we are all priests before God. As Christians, we are all priests. Make no mistake about it, even though we no longer rely on the blood of an animal as priests, we are still offering sacrifices. And what are those sacrifices? Well, Romans 12 tells us that we present our bodies as living sacrifices. We offer praise In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, we offer our good works. That's verse 16 of Hebrews 13. 
Verse 16 also says we offer generous giving. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says that we offer our love. Revelation 8, 3 and 4 says we offer our prayers. We could go on, but I think you get the idea. As priests, all of life is a sacrifice to God. All of life is a heartfelt thank you to the one who has rescued us from certain death. I want you to think about this as well. If Jesus is the great high priest which means that he came to give us access to God, to bridge the gap, to be the go-between between us and God. And if we are priests as well, then that means that we too are bridge builders. That as Christians, we build bridges, not walls. We share the gospel, we do good deeds, we pray, we give, we confess our sins. As priests, we represent the great high priest here on earth, which means that we are to be priests 24-7, not just when we come to church. You don't have to wait until Sunday in order to be a priest. It's your identity. It's who you are all the time, or at least it should be. Because we are a, a, royal nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And that comes with privilege and responsibility. 1 Peter 2 and 10 says, So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We serve a God of unending excellencies. And it's our job to make sure that the world knows that. We exist to advertise God's excellencies to the world around us. We are a manifestation of the glory of God. We are in the PR business, if you will. We are God's agents here on earth. To be a priest is a full-time job description. And that brings me to the theme that I have harped on over and over again. And maybe you're getting a little sick of it, but it, it bears repeating over and over again. And that is, this isn't all about you. It's not all about me. This is all about God and what he has done for us. We were in darkness, but he called us into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but now we are his people. We had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We, we are radically God-centered. That is what it means to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, at this point, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, Chris, I thought the topic was playing off this morning's lesson, and it was on being living stones. What's all this talk about being priests? I wanted to set the stage by discussing our identity because I think all too often we lose our focus, we get off track, we forget exactly who it is that we are in Christ. And, and I love Peter's words here. I love his description of what it means to be in Christ and to be a New Testament Christian in the New Testament church. But let's, let's look again at how he starts this section. Verse 4, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture: Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for those or for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone. We know that Solomon built a temple for God and it was a glorious temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians around 586 BC. The Jews returned from captivity about 70 years later and though there was some 
procrastination and apathy, and you know, they eventually re- rebuild the temple, and it was destroyed in, in uh, AD 70. Some have wondered if the third temple will be built, and the answer is yes. In fact, it is being built as we speak. If you look around you, if you look in the mirror, you are the temple. You are it. You are the living stone, one of those living stones that makes up the house of God. Paul stated it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Our bodies are holy spaces. They are places where heaven and earth come together because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Moses stood on holy ground before the burning bush. Inside the temple was a space known as the Holy of Holies. And within us, there is that holy space, that Holy of Holies. You know, oftentimes we, we get off course here on 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and we use this as a proof text against tattoos and you know, piercings and, you know, gluttony and all different kinds of things. We got to be careful using the Bible as a proof text or using a proof texting method when it comes to Scripture because we need to, we need to quit using 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 in that way. We need to stop using the Bible as a proof texting document and look at what God is trying to say. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 in context, it's about sexual sin. It's about defiling your body through sexual immorality. Because sex unites two individuals, that doesn't mean that they are married. It means that their bodies are united. And when bodies are united in a sinful way, it defiles the body because it is sin. So to use our holy space for the purpose of sexual immorality is kind of like making a sacrifice to an idol in the temple. Something that was wrong at all times, but was specifically a sin against the temple when it was done in the temple. So all that to say, let's understand the exact context Let's understand what Paul is really saying here. Let's understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through Paul. Rarely are we accurately dividing the Word of God when we use Scripture as a proof text. You are a temple of God's Spirit. But I also want you to notice what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, when it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Here in this passage, Paul is no longer talking about individual bodies. Here he's talking about the church and our corporate gathering. And we know this because the word temple here is singular while the you is plural. And you know, we Texans might say, don't y'all know that y'all are the temple of God? But the context of this passage is Paul speaking of the church, and he is stating that the church isn't just any old building. It's not, a, it's not a listing in the phone book. It's not a physical address. It's the individual people who come together to make up the temple of God. You see, there is a third temple. It's you, it's me, it's the church. This temple is not yet finished. It's under construction. The foundation has been laid. The cornerstone has been set in place, but it's still a construction zone. Paul describes this very well in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, when he writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in 
in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You are being built on the foundation that was laid by the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is the keystone that governs the angles of the walls of this building. And we have a place in this structure. However, the strength of this structure is dependent upon you being a living stone. And living is obviously the opposite of dead. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and 10. Be careful how you build. God holds the plants. He has the blueprint. Where do we fit in God's spec sheet? Are we building according to code? I think one thing that we see very clearly in 1 Peter, as well as other passages that we referred to, is that as long as the stone lies by itself, it is useless. A stone's usefulness is found when it's incorporated into the building project. This is a major defeat to the idea that I can worship God on my own, that I don't need the church, or that I don't need other Christians Clearly, Christianity is a community. It's relational. Solitary religion is an impossibility. A freelance Christian is a contradiction. There are no such thing as, as Lone Ranger Christians. I mean, imagine that war, World War III breaks out and you decide that you want to go fight for your country, but you don't want to fight with anyone else. You just want to be on your own. You want to be your own general. You want to fight in your own army, just you and no one else. You're not going to last very long, obviously. Because the strength of any army lies in its numbers and fighting together, being on the same page. A stone that refuses to be used is a dead stone. The only hope we have is standing shoulder to shoulder with like-minded soldiers, like-minded stones. You have to understand that Peter is writing to Christians who are facing persecution and so his words in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10 fit into that context. And he calls his audience exiles of dispersion. Now this is a reference to the Israelite people who were scattered throughout the nations after being in captivity. Even those who returned to Jerusalem were still in a sense exiles because they lived under a foreign empire. But being an exile wasn't just about the land that you lived in. It was also about the state that you lived in. According to Peter, Christians are a part of the dispersion because we are exiles waiting for that day that we will receive our inheritance. And it's against this backdrop that Peter reminds the people to focus on what matters most, mainly focus on construction and remember where your identity lies. Remember that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Remember who you are and remember who you belong to. There's a famous story from Sparta about a Spartan king who was boasting to a visiting monarch about the strength of the walls of Sparta. And the visiting monarch looked around but couldn't see any walls. So he asked the Spartan king, well, where are these walls that you boast so much about? And the Spartan king pointed to his, his long line of bodyguards standing at attention with big rippling muscles and he said these, these are the walls of Sparta, every man a brick. And that is us as the church, 
as individual Christians, every person a brick, a stone, that when fitted together, form the household of God and become a mighty fortress. We form the fabric of the church and thus fulfill God's mission. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace and mercy. We thank you for the salvation and the hope that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we all seek to be living stones, living sacrifices, displaying a living faith that seeks to show others what it means to live a life in Christ. May we, may we always seek to be about your business. And as we are being built up, may we always, always seek to have you do the building. May we be unified. May we be about the mission. And may we give you all the glory. It's in your son's precious name we pray.